Good morning, everyone, everyone here in the dojo and on Zoom. Um, seems like we have fewer, fewer numbers for Zazenkai at the moment, which is perhaps understandable with people coming out of COVID lockdown. Maybe a lot of people feel like birds in a cage that want to spread their wings at the moment and, and be outside. Anyway, the um, topic of the theme of my Dharma talk today is um, equanimity, um, the predictable, and the unexpected. And uh, it's emerging, this theme is emerging out of, uh, I think, the circumstances in my life at the moment, and Diana, my wife's um, circumstances, we're about to um, move houses and move to a very pleasant um, beachside suburb in Sydney. It's kind of a sea change and, a, and uh, moving, moving, decluttering and so on. And uh, in some ways, uh, not for me quite so much, but at the moment, but moving towards um, a retirement stage of our life. And it led me to reflecting on, on what true equanimity is. Um, equanimity is a kind of a stability of mind, a peace of mind. But really, from a Dharma point of view, if you're a Zen practitioner, you can be happy wherever you are. You know, whether you're living in an inner city or you're living in the suburbs or you're living in the country, if you're living in adversity, adverse, unpleasant circumstances or pleasant circumstances or neutral ones, our practice is to cultivate um, equanimity through all circumstances of your life. In a superficial sense, people strive for equanimity or peace of mind or whatever by building security, by building a safe kind of predictable world in which they live. But it's very shaky because it's just built on, on circumstances. And some people, meditators often try to develop equanimity by withdrawing from the world. Um, and, and not trying to be attached to the world. But that's a place to get stuck as well. You know, it's not true equanimity, it's all of the, the Zen literature tells us. And what true equanimity is, is being one with your circumstances, whatever they may be. Pleasant, unpleasant, depending on the geography, the demographics of where you live, whatever. It is to be one with your circumstances in this moment, whatever they are. Now, this current move, made, for some reason, made me think in threes, um, a number of different threes here, systems of threes. In neuroscience, one way of understanding the human brain is it's got three basic systems built into it. One is a survival mechanism, like our fight-flight mechanism. Another is a system like our our um, reasoning abilities, planning abilities, executive abilities and so on, um, which help us to build resources in our life through which we can, you know, live um, with a relative amount of stability and ongoing survival um, and comfort. And then there's another aspect of our brain, which is really that aspect of ourselves that has... Um, it's not about surviving or getting through each day. It's that, that um, part of our experience which allows us to enjoy life, 
do you know, um, and to play with life and to be intimate with life. So out of that comes all the wonderful aspects of human culture, like dancing and singing and art, do you know, etc. Or meditation, do you know, like just being able to experience the joy of being alive. Intimacy with other people. Uh, there's that aspect to our life as well. And in some ways, um, to go back to my looking at things in threes, um, in living in a city, you could say that it, living in the inner city areas of, of often cities are more like that survival stage where there's higher crime rates and people sleeping on the street and there's poverty um, and it's more of a survival jungle kind of atmosphere often. And then you kind of move into the suburbs and it's more kind of predictable, a little bit maybe ho-hum, um, and, uh, but it's not quite in that sort of survival kind of range. People building resources and so on as they have families. And then some people might move on to living in country areas, you know, you know, less polluted areas or less noisy areas like we're doing at the moment, um, which is kind of a moving to more pleasant type, type of circumstance. Another three that this reminds me too, years ago I read um, uh, Dante's The Divine Comedy, one of the most wonderful pieces of literature in Western literature, where there's hell or the inferno and then there's purgatory and then there's paradise. And, uh, and people move through those various stages, or they may move through those various stages from hell to purgatory and heaven. So it's kind of like a one-way process. When you get to heaven, you'll have equanimity. But if you're a Zen student, you aspire to having equanimity in hell. Or you aspire to see that you can have equanimity in purgatory as well as in heaven. It doesn't matter where you are. And when you look at this kind of equivalent in the Buddhist wheel of life, do you know all those different realms, like the heaven realm and the, and the hell realm and the animal realm and the hungry ghost realm, etc. Um, in some forms of Buddhism, you find equanimity by getting off the wheel. But in forms of Zen practice and Tibetan practices, particularly tantric practices or Dzogchen practices, you find equanimity within each realm. If you're in hell, you can find equanimity there. You know, if you're in the hungry ghost realm, you can find equanimity right there. In the heaven realm, you can find equanimity right there. Mm -hmm. um, it's, that's really what the essence of a Zen practice is. Now, how do you develop or how do you cultivate equanimity? The obvious ways you do it from a Dharma perspective is practicing meditation like we're doing here today and doing it regularly is a way of creating an equanimity. We all know that from our experience of, you know, consistent zazen practice, that it brings us stability and calmness of mind, probably at many different levels. At a samadhi level, there's probably some neurological equivalent of, a, of a creating endorphins and so on, you know, which make us feel calm. Um, but samadhi, the equanimity of samadhi is not the, not the true or the deep Zen experience, right? absorption. Um, because you can, as I said before, just retreat into that and stay in that. 
And when we do a, a SARS INCA like this or a session or any one of our normal um, Zen retreats, there's a lot of predictability in it. You know, it, it's, a, it's a routine that we go through and it's the same routine we go through each time we do it. And that in itself is very good because it creates a sense of predictability and stability and routine brings stability in our life. But you can also get attached to that. And I remember one um, experience I had when I was much younger, when I was studying Zen in Hawaii and going over to California. Um, and I stayed at the San Francisco Zen Centre, which is a very established big um, centre um, there in the Bay Area. And it's got a very, very stable, steady Zen monastery routine to it. You get up at the same time every day and you sit and you chant and you have you some ooh. And it's, it's very, very, very uh, routine in its, in its um, environment. I remember once we were in a summer period and um, a tradesman came to the wrong door to um, deliver something and, and the monk was in a flap about it, you know. Um, he was really flustered. What's the, they've come to the wrong door. They should have gone to the other door. So here he is living in this very predictable, stable, routine-like environment and something unpredictable happens and he's totally unprepared for it. Mm -hmm. He, he still had growth there, you know, he still had to mature into his Zen practice, you know, and meet the unexpected when it comes. So you can, you can err on one side, you can, um, you can um, be attached to routine and stability and predictability uh, as a way of trying to feel safe and secure in your life, but it's an attachment, right? And then some people go the other way in their life and they travel all their life or they have one relationship after another and they have various risk-taking behaviours as well as a way of trying to avoid the boredom of predictability. Um, but that's an attachment as well. It's an aversion to predictability. Mm -hmm. Being Having an attachment to either is a problem. So true Zen practice and true equanimity, it's like living in predictability if that's what's happening in your life. And it's also being able to meet the unexpected when it arises. But just look at, let's look at both of those in a little bit more depth. There's a lot of predictability in our life. Most of our life is predictable. You know, I, I come to the same office, you know, when I come to work here. Um, the walls are white every time I come in, right? When I sit on the chair, it doesn't collapse underneath me, right? It's predictable. Sometimes, occasionally, once a year, I come in and I find different paintings on the wall that Diana, my wife, has changed and hasn't told me and brings unpredictability into my life, right? And just to, just to spice it up a little bit, you know? Um, but mostly it's predictable, you know? And when you go home from here, you... You put the lock in the door and it, and, it, and it goes open like it has all the other times before and you don't see strangers in your house, you see the same people who've been there that you've grown up with or you're married to or whatever. There is a lot of predictability in life. And if you look at it in a broader sense, do you know, the sun comes up in the morning, it goes down at night, the moon comes out, the stars come out, the seasons change. 
you know, it's hot in summer, it gets cooler towards winter, and then it gets warm again. It's all predictable. There's a lot of predictability there. And the way that um, neuroscientists understand the way the human brain works, they often refer to the human brain as a, a future-predicting machine. That's what it does. It accumulates all these memories from the past, from past experience, and then it keeps updating it in the present moment so it's up to speed. And its job is to predict what's going to happen in the future so that you will survive. That's its job. Mm -hmm. um, and if that's the way that we're built, is that if that's the way that we are, are built biologically as an animal, we need to be one with that, do you know? And, and it's, it's something that works for us so that we stay alive. So there's nothing wrong um, with predictability, you know? And if we don't have enough of it in our life, um, our life can be very unstable. But the true test of whether we're cultivating um, true equanimity in our life is the unexpected happens, right? Out of, out of this predictable routine that we usually go through in life, something happens out of left field. How do you deal with it? What do you do? Hmm? So it's predictable that people drive on the left side of the road when you go on the road. What is the odd occasion that's happened in everyone's life when you find someone coming down the wrong side of the road towards you? What do you do? Well, what do you do when you're expecting to get that parking spot and you're ready to back into it and someone suddenly darts in there? Right? The unpredictable happens. Or to give you an example that happened yesterday in my life, um, um, Again, I was walking through our, the bush track beside our place, as I often do, and a butcher bird came down again and attacked me, you know, and, and hit me on the ear and knocked my cochlear implant off and got lost in the bush and there was blood coming out of it. So it's like, you're just walking along, predictable, step by step forward, and bang, something happens, you know. How do you meet that when it occurs? Well, it's just... If you meet it, it's just a slightly shock, a slight shock and a painful experience in this blood, and that's all there is, right? But what often people do, like in the council I live, they, something like that happens, they complain to the council, the council rangers came down, come down and kill the birds, right? So everything can be predictable in people's lives. You know, we have this aversion to anything impinging on our comfortable middle-class lives. But that's what it is, right? The unexpected happens. Well, it's happened three times in my life now, so it's starting to become slightly predictable. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the real test. That, uh, what I'd like you to do in terms of taking this Dharma talk into your life and practising it, is if things are predictable, be, be one with, with it being predictable. That's perfectly okay, right? Um, that's what present moment life is presenting to you. Um, but the real, the, real, the real litmus test of practice is whatever it might be in your life, and it might be adverse or it may be not adverse, but how do you react when the unpredictable occurs? What, what happens when the unexpected 
the kids? What's the response then? Like the monk in the in the in the in the monastery, you know, he's in his in his stable setting. He's got a very predictable day by day pattern, probably more so than anyone in the outside world. But the tradesman comes to the wrong door, right? It's all a flat. How do we deal with the equivalent of those circumstances in our life? And what it comes down to, if we're free, the more that we're free of grasping to predictability or not having an aversion to predictability, is that true equanimity is about cultivating an openness of mind. Like we, we don't know what the next moment is going to bring. It could be predictability or the unexpected. But really, a, a spacious, open mind that's willing just to accept what this moment brings and what the next moment brings is, is synonymous with equanimity. It's got no fixed preconception that's going to be predictable or unpredictable. And if you, if you live your life in that way, um, your life really opens up into something um, much more joyful. You know? It's not just peaceful, it's, it's joyful because you then have a, almost a joy of meeting the unexpected. You know, when, when the, the butcher bird attacked me again, you know, um, there's a, there's part of me is slightly shocked by it, but there's something about it, the whole experience which is joyful. It's like, wow, do you know, like this is nature occurring around me. I almost felt privileged in a sense, do you know, that, that I, I got attacked by the butcher bird. You know, it's like it, it brought some kind of freshness into my life. And that's, that's how we need to... And, and perhaps it's easier in some ways when it's a butcher bird that attacks you than another human being <laughs> attacking you or attacking you verbally or insulting you or whatever. Um, uh, but that's where the challenge is. So next time someone insults you um, or abuses you out in public, notice how you react to it. Doesn't mean you have to um, be passive and submissive about it necessarily. But how? What? What's the reaction? Can you stay with that experience? Can I stay with that experience and just meet it as it is? That's how we need to go forward um, in our Zen practice in our life. Thank you, everybody.